Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I am privileged to stand before you. Um, I acknowledge Apostle Wallace, um, who is indeed the little brother that I never asked for. My little brother, but I'm here to one annoying brother in Apostle Wallace, and he will henceforth be. So if I say the apostle, you will know who I am referring to. I thank you for having me um, revive definitely the ministry that's close to our hearts because you all share Apostle Wallace with us. And so I thank you. Um, it is not taken for granted when people invite me to share with their sheep. Um, so I, I don't take that lightly. Um, so I acknowledge you and your leaders. My own spiritual parents, Pastor Josh and Daisy Brown, as they take some time to exercise some good self-care, um, I recognize them. They are indeed the shepherds to us, and they love me well. Um, they have literally adopted me as part of their family, and so I get not just one annoying little brother, I also have other great siblings and fortunate <laughs> and Josiah. Um, I also recognize my earthly biological parents who aren't here with us, but who may be watching uh, my dad has been under the weather, and he, uh, God continues to prove himself to be a healer in our family. And so I come from a lineage of uh, great teachers. And my dad being an awesome teacher uh, in the, of the word, and my mom being an awesome teacher uh, in life in general. So I'm so thankful uh, for them and their care and ongoing support and love for me. Um, my remnant family. Remnant supports their own, and I'm so privileged to be a part of a family that loves so well, that uh, cares so deeply for one another, um, but also that is a house that really values strong biblical teaching, that really values growth in the Word and growth in each other. And so I am excited um, that they came out to support me. And I am just excited about the opportunity to share in this series. Um, so I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to jump right in. God, we stand in awe of you. We are constantly amazed by just how great you are, all the things that you do, all the ways that you make, all the things that we can literally cannot imagine that you do, God. We just thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you. Someone had plans for today at 3 o'clock, and they weren't able to carry out those plans. But we're here. And we're able to do the things that you desire for us to do, Lord God. So we don't take it for granted that we have breath in our bodies, that we have activity in our limbs, Lord God, that we're in our right minds. We say thank you for that, God. Yes. God, we say thank you for those tangible things, Lord God. But we say thank you for the things that you've done and you've provided that we can't see, God. We thank you for the ways that you've kept us that we don't even know, God. Yes, God. We thank you, God. We thank you for the words that you have poured into me, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God that you will be magnified through this, Lord God. We thank you that you continue to impress upon our hearts, Lord God. Press into us today, Lord God, so that everything is shared, Lord God, has a lingering presence, God. So that it doesn't just sit on the surface, Lord God, so that it is absorbed into us, Lord God, and so that we embody what you have for us, God. Not just for us, Lord God, but that we can pour it out to those who are in need. God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. We 
you all have been uh, in an ongoing series, Let This Mind. And so when the apostle talked about he was doing this series, I was really excited because we as a body don't always do a great job of talking about um, our mind and the impact that our, our thought system, our beliefs has on our faith wall. And so as you all have journeyed through this, um, today my lesson is going to be a little different. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about how I came to it. Um, the title is this, What If I Fail? And I'm the queen of a subtitle. So the subtitle is, The Dispute Between Our Faith in God and Our Worldly Logic. What if I fail? The dispute between our faith in God and our worldly logic. Our key scriptures are this, Proverbs 28 and 26. The English Standard Version says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. What if I fail? The central thought is this. We as believers are often distracted by our fear of failure. We allow our reality, our rationality, and our logical mind to keep us from the things that God desires from us. Why do we do this? We do this because there's a misconception that our faith has no room for logical thinking. This is not true. The fact that God fashioned our brains to consider his ways, when we align our thoughts with his, he allows us to glimpse into where our true power lies. When we don't seek to have the mind of Christ, we make the decision to fail. When I was invited to speak to you all, um, I was really eager to see where God would have this lesson. So as I mentioned before, we don't always do a good job of uh, marrying together our thoughts and our emotions and our mental health and how they impact our belief system. So I was really excited. I was like, man, how great is it that when I was engaging in this ongoing dialogue? And so I was like, God, what do you want me to say? What do you have for me? And I was waiting. So typically, um, I feel like God gives me hard messages. So I was like, don't, don't give me anything hard to share with these people, God. These not, this is not my remnant. These are, these are other people. Don't, don't give me anything too hard for them. And so, um, as I pray to the Lord, um, he gave me an acronym for the word fail. Um, insert disappointed emoji. So I was initially confused. I was like, okay. Share the complexity of the brain and how you, being a divine creator, made the brain so intricate and that we have no option but to rely on you because our brains, like, we don't know a lot about the brain. Like, that's what you want me to talk about, right? And he was like, no, no, no. Okay. Uh, so, you want me to talk about how um, uh, emotional intelligence will allow us to tap into true worship? And if we tap into true worship, then we won't have emotion-driven experiences. We'll have true encounters. He's like, no. No, that's not. <sighs> okay. 
text is this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good word. I took some time to explore what it means to be logical. So the adjective logic is rooted in the Greek word logos, which means reason, ideas, or word. So calling something logical, saying that this is logical, means that it's based on reason and sound ideas. In other words, a thought is well thought out with precision and removed from emotion. It has orderliness and consistency that helps you win arguments. So if you engage someone who is a good, uh, who's very argumentative, but they don't exercise good logic, you're very likely to win that argument because their, their arguments aren't rational. It doesn't make any sense. But if you've ever engaged someone, I love people that you meet and you know, you were in a debate club in high school. Right? Because they have this logical mind that can reason some things and they will argue you. And at some point you can even see that they realize that you're right.
grocery store and purchased two love nuts and set a two-carat diamond ring in these love nuts. But you couldn't tell that that wasn't a platinum ring when he got finished. When we take our worldly knowledge and hold it up against the wisdom of God, it is literally equivalent to taking a five-cent store-bought love nut and putting it up against the platinum of God. And we wonder why we fail. We fail. Because there's no failure in him. We make this. And the other piece is that not only do we fail, but we fail to realize that we make the decision to fail. Think about the last thing in your life that you deemed a failure. When you look back on that situation, do you say, here's an area where I chose to fail? For the most part, no. But that is true. Because at some point in time, there was an opportunity for you to succeed. However, whatever decision that you made caused that not to succeed. Mm -hmm. Amen. That really reworks how we look at our failures. It also reworks how we look at our responsibility to our failures. First Corinthians 2.13 um, says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are but folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are not spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as so to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We were created to think as Christ did. God was intentional about every part of our physical design, including our brains. So the part of the brain that's responsible for complex thinking is the frontal lobe. So take your hand, put it on your forehead. Some of y'all five, you can stretch your fingers out. But put it on your forehead. I wasn't talking about you. If you got offended, that's how you fit your hand right there. So located under the forehead is the frontal lobe. You can put your hand It controls reasoning, planning, voluntary movement, and some aspects of speech. When we deviate from the mind of Christ, we acquire a spiritually impacted brain injury. One more time. When we deviate from the mind of Christ, Right? Because him and his amazingness right, built our brains to process things specifically. So when we deviate from that, we give ourselves an acquired brain injury. A spiritually acquired brain injury. I began my behavioral health career working with clients with acquired brain injuries. Fresh out of school, eager to enter the world as a counselor, I prayed um, for a job that was not monotonous. So at the time, I was working at the university, and I could set a timer about how my day went. This is when my boss was going to come in, he was going to bring his dog, he was going to say these things, he was going to tell the same corny joke, and this is how my day was going to progress. He could set a timer. So when I was ready to transition, I prayed, God, give me a job where I don't know what's going to happen from day to day. And he said, bet. <laughs> so I vividly remember in my interview, the CEO asked me very poignant questions. And as he's asking these questions, I'm thinking, I'm, 
and I'm a woman. Well, if somebody says anything other than those three things, they're not talking to me. Right. If they call me a name that's not Kelly, they're not talking to me because my birth certificate says Kelly Elizabeth. That's who I am. And I care. That was the answer. That was the answer. That happened. That happened. <laughs> and I meant that until the first time I got called a name. Now, logic says, right, they have an impairment. And they meant it. They pronounce a hard ER. Right, they meant it. But I couldn't even get mad. Right, I couldn't get upset. The deficit wasn't with me. Right? The deficit was with him. Right? So fast forward four or five years, you know, this is a regular occurrence. Your mama. Right? So one time, a uh, patient called me out my name. I took him into my office. And I pointed him towards my degrees. And I pointed him towards the dictionary. And he called me a strong inward. And I said, look on the wall. Those are my worldly accomplishments. Where are they? He said, open the dictionary and look up and tell me what that says. Hmm. He looked up, turned to pages. It's like someone who's ignorant. OK, based on these degrees, which one of us fits that definition? <laughs> so when he left my office in tears, um, I recalled my interview, my initial interview. And I thought about why the CEO oh, thought it was important for me to understand what I was prepared for. He wanted me to understand that a majority of these clients had experienced frontal lobe damage. So as a result, their filter for things that we know to be inappropriate was impaired. From a spiritual perspective, we act out. We call things as they are not. We identify people by names that don't belong to them because we have been brainwashed. You have a spiritually acquired brain injury. And the thing about it is, is that when you do, the things that you say, the things that you do, the things that you express don't line up with logic. God is saying, here's what I've created you for. Here's what I've called you to do. Here's what I've designed you for. And every time you say, no, it's not. No, I can't. No, uh He's saying, who gave you this brain injury? Do you fall? What happened? When I started training the staff there, one of the things that I did was I made sure to remind them that we were all one fall. We were all in car accident. We were all in overdose from me in our client's shoes. I did this in an attempt to connect them with the deficits that you experience. But this is a vivid image of what we look like when we think like the world and not do the mind of Yes, God. So what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ originates in Isaiah 40 and 13. It says, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? This verse has been revisited as a previous shared in 1 Corinthians 2 and 16. Having the mind of Christ means we look at life from our Savior's point of view, having his values and desires in mind. It means that we think God's thought and we think different from how the world thinks. It's a shared perspective of humility of compassion and of dependence on God. Do you truly have the mind of Christ? 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul was contrasting the unbeliever, right, our natural man, with the believer. When we have the mind of Christ, it's a contract to the wisdom, in contrast to the wisdom of man. So it involves wisdom from God, which is one hidden and couldn't be understood without the Spirit. When we have the mind of Christ, we have discernment in spiritual matters. What perspectives does Christ have? When believers have the mind of Christ, we understand God's plan for the world and understand that he wants to bring about his purpose. It doesn't mean that we're infallible. It doesn't mean that we get to be puppet masters and orchestrate playing God in the lives of other people. It means our total dependence is on him, and without him, we can't function. Amen. 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 <laughs> our, our medical history, so the medical profession, has a very sordid history. Right? So if you ever look back at procedures that they did back in the day, we're very thankful that we're born in this day and age. Because some of the things that they did were outlandish. One of the things that they would do was they would drill a hole in your skull, right? And this was going to help you. Um, help you what? Why? Why? <laughs> Let my skull alone. But when we are walking as the world does, if we're thinking as the world does, we might as well have a hole in our skull. When we give over our thoughts to thinking like the world thinks, when we give over our minds to the world, we might as well let them just take a piece of our brain out because if they're operating it, why not? You're not using it for what it was designed for. The Bible describes several things that Christ valued. So with the mind of Christ, believers should value them as well. We should have a desire to bring glory to God. So if you have the mind of Christ, your life looks like you desiring to bring glory to God. John 17 and 5, Jesus said, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Likewise, if we are having the mind of Christ, we should have a longing to provide salvation for sinners. We live in a world that is adamant about, about people doing their own thing. You do you, boo. Who am I to judge you? Do you. The mind of Christ said, I love you too much to let you go to hell. I love you too much to let you continue to make these decisions that lead down that path. The mind of Christ says, I'm going to have these difficult conversations with you because I'd rather have a difficult conversation than have to answer to your blood on my hands. The mind of Christ has a perspective on humility and obedience. Philippians 2 and 5 explains, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on you can't have the mind of Christ and be prideful and disobedient. That's right. You can't. You can't have the mind of Christ and defy everything that he says. Having the mind of Christ means you have a compassionate heart. Matthew 9 36 shows Jesus' compassion to the people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless 
like sheep without a shepherd. In our current political climate, it's difficult to argue that we are a country of compassion. But as believers, we should have compassion hearts. We should never relish in people's downfall. We should never rejoice in people not having the things that they need. Right? That illustrates that you don't have the mind of Christ. If you lack compassion, it illustrates that you don't embody the things that he embodies. If your heart doesn't hurt when people hurt, if you don't weep when people are weeping, if you don't see injustice and abuse, and you're not feeling some kind of way about that, there's something wrong with your heart and your mind. Having the mind of Christ has a prayerful dependence on God. Luke 5 and 6 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I was not always a great student. In high school, my grades were just good enough to play basketball. That's really all I was concerned about. Like, my parents were um, very adamant that college was hard, and if you got there and you didn't study, you was coming home and getting a job. So they didn't pressure us unrealistically. They were very realistic. Like, school's hard. Hey, you, you probably could have done better than this, Steve. I had the kind of parents and teachers who they could call and they would show up sitting in the classroom. It happened to me. I was acting a fool in biology, and this is like mid 90s because I'm old compared to this video. So it was mid 90s, and my teacher had a disability, so she had a cell phone on. And this is not a time that everybody had a cell phone. So I'm in the hallway, kicking it with my friends, and one of my friends comes up and like, ah, your mama's in class. And I walk in class, and there's both of my parents. He didn't mention my dad in the seat. <laughs> both of my parents sitting in my seat in the class. <laughs> For the rest of the school year, I had to go before school started, and I had to clean that teacher's site. Y'all know how nasty science teachers are. I had to clean out dumb meal tanks. I had to like pick skin off of fetal pigs of people gonna dissect. It was the pits. It, but that was the consequence of me acting like I didn't have no sense. I was clearly out of my mind. Clearly not believing she was gonna call my parents. She certainly did. And they suddenly showed up. But we have to have a dependence on God, right? We have to have a prayerful dependence. How do I develop the mind of Christ? So I can't say, we talk about, uh, when I work with brain injury, one of the things we do is we talk about the deficits, but it doesn't do you any good to just identify your deficits. Here are all the things that are wrong with you. Like how many people want to go to the doctor, and their doctor lists all their ailments, and then pack up their stuff and walk out of the room? You can see them at the front desk for your bill. Well, wait a minute. You didn't tell me how to fix any of this. Except the man's spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thought of God 
from God. That we may understand that God has freely given us. So in order to have the mind of Christ, you must first have the Holy Spirit. This comes with the saving faith in Christ. Romans 89 says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to Christ. After salvation, a believer's responsibility is to yield to the Holy Spirit's leading and let the Spirit transform his mind and his life. What does it look like when we think the thoughts of God? When we have the mind of Christ and we think the thoughts of God, we understand who we were created to be and what we were created to do. There are times when um, life pulls us directions that aren't where God has us to go and we feel unfulfilled. I'm making a lot of money in this job, but it just doesn't seem like enough. Because you haven't aligned yourself with the mind of Christ, that's not your purpose. That's not what you were designed to do. That's not who you were created to be. When we think the thoughts of God, we understand not only who we are, but we understand who he is to be in our lives. We understand that he is our power source. Um, I came into my office one day, and I went to turn on my light, and my light didn't work. I was like, mm, okay, okay, let's put this light bulb in here. And this is an expensive light bulb, so I don't understand why it's not working. But then I looked around my office, turned on my big light, and I looked around my office, and all of my extension cords were neatly wound and set on my table, all of them, there were four, which says we have stuff half booked in my office. But <laughs> there were four extension cords neatly, and there was a note on top. And Chris, our building painter, had written me a nice note that says, none of these cords are approved by building engineering. Therefore, I have removed them for you. Please contact this person to receive approved cords. Well, first of all, Chris, you was only supposed to be in here painting. Nobody asked you to unplug all my stuff, and my cure don't work, and my lamp ain't. My lights didn't work because of Chris. Right? Chris is just doing his job, really. Because if the building burnt down because of my office, then Chris ain't got a job, he ain't got nothing to paint. Well, or he has a lot of stuff to paint. Either way, Chris is doing his job, right? But my lamp didn't work because of Chris. My lamp didn't work because it wasn't connected to a power source. Now, the lamp has a cord long enough that all I had to do was pick up the cord and plug it into the power source. But now I'm in the middle of my office having a 15-minute dialogue, monologue, because it was just me. Having a 15-minute monologue about why Chris didn't have to unplug all my stuff. He could have just left the note, and then when I got ready, I would have contacted Bill. No. All I had to do was plug the lamp into the power source. We get to points in our lives where things aren't going where we think they should be going, and things aren't moving as fast as we think they should be moving. And God, you promised this, and you said this is going to happen. There's nothing wrong with the promise. You're just unplugged from the power source. Oh, there But you can spend this 15 minutes, 15 days, 15 years having a monologue, or you can just pick up the plug and plug into the power source. Jesus. When we think the thoughts of God, we understand how our worldly logic is flawed and temporal. I have a niece, and she's three. And three-year-olds have this uncanny ability to feel like they know stuff that they don't know. 
So I said, can you go get your daddy? Who? Your daddy. Who? My brother. That's not your brother. Who am I? My auntie. How am I your auntie? You my auntie. I'm your auntie because I'm the daddy's sister. Why am I arguing with a three-year-old? Totally illogical. Right? But she didn't understand the relationship because her logic is flawed. She's three. Nobody has sat down and said, here's how people are related. I mean, I did after that. But at the time, here I am arguing with a three-year-old when all I really could have done was just went down a daddy in my life. Right? Our worldly logic is flawed and temporal. The things that we think we know, even the things that sometimes we stand confidently on, we don't know. And we certainly don't know them if they're apart from the mind of Christ. When we're apart from the mind of Christ, we don't have the cognitive capability to make sense of some things. When we fail to think the thoughts of God, we're distracted by the world. I talked earlier about comparing the ring made out of love nuts to the ring made out of platinum. And sometimes we get distracted because we think unbelievers' lives look better than ours and we think that they're uh, getting more than we're getting and they're achieving more than we're achieving. But if they never come in contact with the true and living Savior, their eternity is going to look real different than ours. And if you want the stuff that they got here, you might also be making a decision to get what they get in the long term. When we fail to think the thoughts of God, we're distracted by the world, and then we're identified by our insecurities. Working in the behavioral health profession, we always try to use people-first language. And so what people-first language means is simply we don't identify people by their deficits. So it's the difference from a person suffering with bipolar than that bipolar person. What if you were identified by your deficits? What if you walked into a room, you walked into an engagement, you walked into an encounter, instead of your accomplishments being shared, they shared your failures? They shared your deficits. When you have the mind of Christ, you understand that you have deficits, but those things don't identify you. When you have the mind of Christ, you see, I'm nothing without you, God, but my nothingness is somethingness with you. When you have the mind of Christ, your insecurities are insignificant because your security is constant. Amen. When we fail to think the thoughts of God, we fail to impact the kingdom for his glory. Because if I'm thinking like the world, how can I impact the world to be different? How can I influence them for change? My last point to this, Christ defied worldly logic. Generally speaking, his whole existence defied worldly logic. Christ defied logic when he was born, right? There's no way Mary became pregnant as a virgin. I was left about this when I 
you're gonna be like, now you did something. Something somewhere, something happened. I you're lying. You ain't gotta lie to me. I'm your friend. I'm not gonna tell. Like you lie. Right? Yet here he is. Here he is. Right? How is it that he healed the sick? That he raised the dead? That he turned water into wine? His ability to perform miracles defied human mind. How is it that he conquered death and rose again? That he's sitting on the right hand of God. That he's advocating on our behalf. Even in his departing from earth, he defied worldly logic.
thank you that your son was an amazing model of what it's like to be connected to you in mind, God. We thank you that he showed us what it looked like to defy the world's logic. We thank you, God, that he's advocating for us even now, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you.